Yeah, I think those all fit. And I imagine vacation, or the other word I'm thinking of this morning, holiday, would definitely hit among the top 10. From kindergarten onward, most of us were raised on the lived reality of life according to the academic calendar, and the rhythms stick hard, I think. This internalized sense that we got that a year more fundamentally actually begins not in January, but in late August or early September and ends not in December, but somewhere in late May or June. And the time in between that ending and beginning becomes this kind of liminal space for us between years. And we have these two words for it. Of course, I think we were all told that the original reason for the schedule of life that we inherit, at least in part, maybe large part, is the result of the agrarian society that we grew up from after colonialism and the need for labor to return home. That was definitely true for my paternal grandfather and his siblings growing up in West Virginia, who might even have been pulled out of school a little early each year if their family farm required that. Summer, after all, it was the time, it is the time for making hay when the sun shines, right? These were the long days when you literally had to store your food for the equally long nights of winter. Even I remember my grandmother and my summers in Hobbs, New Mexico with her, canning peaches some weeks. It would be over 100 degrees outside and 100 degrees inside with pots boiling, the air conditioning blasting on high as we peeled and cut the peaches by the bushel and poured and sealed them in those mason jars, as Marie had learned to in childhood. And for that matter, in Hobbes, we also had days of cutting the alfalfa in some of the fields and waiting till it dried and other days baling it and bringing it into the barn. Every creature needed what summer could store away. So I imagine began this liminal space, which often was very busy time, but now isn't quite so much for most of us in this season of summer. Increasingly, most of us associate this time with at least some point or other vacation or holiday, right? And what Helen pointed out in her sermon long ago was that these were two very different things, at least in the etymology of the words. And that there were some clues or challenges relevant to the season in these words when you dug into them. So let's do that. Vacation, it turns out, has its root in a Latin word, vacare. That means simply to be unoccupied. It's the same root as the word vacate, as you can imagine, a word that means to leave empty, right? It's a perfect word for part of what we all do in the summer. We, if we're lucky, schedule time to run away, to vacate the office, to vacate 
the desk, to vacate life as we know it and its routines and some of its responsibilities, to leave all those places unoccupied, ineffective, to make ineffective being another root meaning of the word vacate. And there is this tremendous liberation in running away in a scheduled, sanctioned, they'll still hold your job for you kind of a way. It's good to remember, isn't it, that those places we are running away from will still stand while we're gone? Or even more important, somehow it writes our twisted mindset to remember that the world actually will still turn on its axis and life will go on if those places cease even for some reason to be effective while we are gone. There is a freedom and a perspective in this vacating. It allows us to breathe, but also to remember the role, the place we have in this world. Not a leading role, not as much as we might like to think or, well, anyway. But also when we choose to vacate, we are also preparing ourselves ultimately, generally, to choose to step back in. And it's a balm and empowering to remember our life choices are just that, that as constrained as we might feel at some time, that we actually are always choosing to step back into them. And vacation, that simple act of running away, it's a powerful tool then or some piece of the good life and writing ourselves in some fundamental ways. But then there is this other word for these times, holiday. If vacation at its root is a running away in some ways from things, holiday is more like a running toward. The root of this word is Old English, and it's translated holy days. A whole other can of peaches, you might say. We get what that phrase holiday, holy day means, of course, when we think about holidays like Christmas or Samhain or Eid, right? But how in the world does that word legitimately apply to the way we've been using it so much to apply to a whole season or just even that part of it we take off and go away for to relax and have fun? Does it apply? Should it? Well, I think it does. And more so, I think it should. It might be useful to help us frame this time a little differently. I mean, think about it for a minute. One of the most distinctive characteristics of holy days is how often they are centered in rituals, right? I'm sure a few come immediately to mind for you. The, the offerings you make at certain holidays, the slaughter of the lamb, or the evening service of candles and carols and the children's pageant at Christmas or the honoring of the four directions to begin a ritual gathering. Now, 
I have family who actually are not super big on rituals, but even we had summer rituals, if I think about it. Not just where we tended to go in the general scope of vacation possibilities, but even though, for instance, the, the week we would go away and the exact place we would go to would change almost every year, once we got where we were going, there were always some ritual things we managed to do and not by accident, right? I mean, once we were there, there was always at least one night, for instance, where there would be fresh corn in a pot and shrimp boiling in another, at least one episode of competitive mini golf with very accurate scorekeeping. And though we never did puzzles any other time of the year, for some reason, every time we were on holiday, there was a spare table found and dedicated to a puzzle that we somehow managed to have on hand. There were rituals, just as I actually have my own now. The Daily nap is a ritual. <laughs> Going for ice cream every time the opportunity is presented, that is a ritual. I don't usually read novels, but I always do on holiday. A game of Scrabble and Bananagrams, at least once. Rituals, of course, are the ways we human beings have of anchoring ourselves fast to a, a way of being or a feeling, right? We do that so that we can milk that moment for the benefits we know it will offer. You get on your knees and you clasp your hands perhaps to signal a time for prayer and that helps you get into that space more quickly. Or you open your diary or your journal to write your morning pages and it drops you faster and anchors you in that place inside where you listen deeply for what needs to be articulated to yourself. So what do these rituals of holiday prepare us for? Abram Joshua Heschel, in his gorgeous book, The Sabbath, talks about how we human beings are so busy mastering space and mastering things and conquering and mastering nature and bending the world to our powers that we completely miss seeing the proper relationship to time in our lives. Except when we try to bend it to our will also. He writes, most of us seem to labor for the things of space while we suffer from a deeply rooted dread of time and stand aghast when compelled to look into its face. I don't know about you, but for me, summer holidays are about putting me smack in a different relationship with time. Time in a good summer holiday runs differently, no matter where I'm taking it. To do its work, that time has to be languid and slow and unhurried. And in all that languid and unhurried unfolding, it heals and regrounds me that holiday time. All that happens in the 
napping and the puzzle assembly and the shucking of corn at the back door. For me, for me, there is a lot of truth in that to what Meg shared with me recently, where she said, to do the integration of events in life and all that's happened to us in a period of time, like the last period of time of this pandemic, for instance, it can look a lot like doing nothing at all for a while. Integration requiring this stillness and languidness. For me, there is a joy and a relief, and I would say also a melancholy to such spacious and face-to-face -face moments and renewed relationship with time. I never think about my mortality as much as I do when I'm on holiday, a friend said to me recently when we were driving together while we did our yearly week together that we take in summer. And I knew exactly what she meant. On holidays, I think we let time catch up with us in a way, and we sit in it. And it probably doesn't help that these moments when we sit with it, memories of summer's past come flooding back the way Louise Gluck's memories did. All those rituals, bringing back with them all the years and the people who have been part of them. Moments perfect and gone at the same time. More than just the quick relief of running away from normal life that vacations give, that idea gives, entering into holiday, this deeper relationship with time is about letting our feelings, letting our thoughts come and go, giving things time to bubble up and settle in. And there is a holy day quality to that way of being in relationship to time. It's the same sort of work I think we hope that our spiritual practices make space for in us and the time we carve out for those that I think we hope will happen in Sunday services that we, we make space for and time for in our lives. It's a hope for some kind of sorting and healing. Heschel, when he talks about the need to sanctify time, not running away from it or trying to master it or stuff 10 pounds of life into a five pound stretch of it, he also notes, though, that what makes holy days holy is is not that they ever deprecate or diminish the world of things that we find ourselves in. All things, according to the creation story in his tradition, they are declared good when they are created. And they're all there to be enjoyed. And this too, I think, this aspect of holy days feels really, really fitting for summer as the same time for such things, a time to go long on a love for the world and the things of it, right? The whole season of summer, but certainly summer holidays, should be about things like 
ripe peaches and sand in our toes and fresh flowers on the table and people that we love. This is, after all, the season when life is in abundance. A friend told me that she thinks this year her zucchinis are growing by the hour. All this is not to say that the universe isn't promising or is promising that life won't have its time of scarcity, but right now, in this season, that it's offering itself generously and to be enjoyed and surrendering to all that gorgeous abundance is also healing and joyful. Heschel is arguing in his book for one day of the week that we make holy, that we bring to it all the things that make time sacred, attention and spaciousness and presence to time and delight in abundance of life and whatever gives us joy, whatever those things are at the moment, time for study or friends or laughter or rest, all of it. Summer to me sounds like the season that invites us to do that too. And it is vacations, but more so. The spirit of what I think are rightly called holidays that allow us to enter into the magic of this work. Holidays when we re-engage rituals that invite us into a different relationship with time and the world and each other, allow thoughts and feelings and memories and hopes to catch up with us. When we remember that we have a choice to leave but also clarify why it is we return, with what heart and intentions and spirit we will do so. So our job is to allow this season, despite all the constraints on it, even this year, place and a time carved out to delight and to rest and to knit ourselves back together before the school bell rings. That's what I've been thinking about lately remembering and reminding myself and all of us to make holiday hay while the sun shines. May it be so for us all and in our own way. Amen. <laughs>